The Gym Class Zeros Podcast, where the zeros are the heroes. Welcome back to another edition of the Gym Class Zeroes podcast. I'm fired up. The weather's beautiful outside. We're getting to some golf. We just had the Masters. It's time for ice cream. What am I missing? What am I missing? Nothing. It's as great as it can be. Before we jump into all this talk about golf and ice cream and whatever we're going to touch on today, let's quickly do our roundtable. Let's introduce ourselves and then we're going to get right to it. First off, I'm George. Thanks for joining us. What's up, guys? It's Seti here in case uh, it wasn't mentioned before. You're listening to the Gym Class Heroes podcast. What's going on, guys? I know I was away last week, but I'm back. What's in the past is in the past. What matters is right now, and I'm here. It's Coach. Talking about ice cream, I'm fired up. Talking about golf, I'm fired up. Let's do it. Uh, Coach, you forgot one thing, and that's beer. And beer, of course. Usually, it's uh, Bland's Brew of the Week. Brewmaster Kyle here. Brewmaster Kyle. Uh, hey, Brewmaster Kyle, let's quickly jump into it because we got a lot of golf. I said that already multiple times because we're going to be talking lots of golf today. We got to hear all about Coach's Love is Blind experience uh, and much, much more. So what do you got brewing for us this week? Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. Like you said, the weather's getting warmer, so uh, we're taking this. Actually, this is a recommendation from our very own SETI. Um, I wanted to get his uh, thoughts on this week's beer. So he brought to me the Woodhouse Raspberry Sour. So let's crack in. Let's do it. Mm, Nice crack. Mm. Oh, coach is cracking too. Coach is always cracking. Delicious. I always, feel, I always feel like I have to fill the void here of this quiet while you guys take your first sips and pour your beers out. It's all part of the experience. Yeah. I actually really like this one. I feel like you're actually eating raspberries sometimes. It's very I'm, raspberry forward. I feel like sometimes when you're, you're having a sour or fruit flavored sour, you're you're kind of getting more of like the juice flavoring more than the actual fruit but this is like literally feels like you're eating straight out of a pint of of fresh uh freshly picked raspberries this is really good mm-hmm. i totally agree yeah it's a very vibrant fresh raspberry forward i don't find it very sour like it's not tart it's more sweet it kind of just tastes like a raspberry ale um i don't get a whole lot of sour flavor but it's still really good yeah i, I agree with you on that one i think uh I don't mind it though because I do find sometimes uh, when you're drinking a sour, sometimes they try to overdo it in terms of the sourness of the beer, and it kind of, you know, you kind of feel it in the back of your your mouth, your uh, your salivary gla- salivary glands, back of the throat are kind of reacting. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this is good. I, I think this is probably one of the better ones I've had. I think we had a raspberry sour, raspberry something sour a few weeks back. If I'm not mistaken. It was last week. We did the Collective Arts one, didn't we? Yeah. Did you feel that one in the back of your throat as much or less? That one was a bit more tart. Uh, yeah, that was definitely 
hitting me in the back of the throat there, there George. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is uh, definitely, I would say, uh, better than the one we had previous and definitely going to be in my summer rotation. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be buying this one again. It's a good thing I have another one in the fridge. Brewmaster Kyle always comes prepared. If you guys didn't know, there's always like two or three of them that he brings. Uh, easily the most determined and uh, the most dedicated member of the podcast is Brewmaster Kyle. Uh, and of course, as we've always mentioned, he does take these beautiful pictures. And I'm actually excited for you guys to see this week's because we got a sneak peek of it this afternoon. Uh, and this week's picture is going to be really nice. So make sure you guys check it out on Instagram at Jim Class Zero's Pod and on Twitter at Jim Class Pod, uh, Jim Class Zero's Pod with a zero. Uh, so check that out. Can't miss it this week. Uh, two questions here for you guys. Obviously, we're going to have to ask you about rating them. Uh, of course, I am not partaking again this week, unfortunately, due to uh, a religious observation. Um, but want to know where you guys uh, feel with this, where do you guys sit on this. Uh, but also, um, Brewmaster Kyle, can you let the, the listeners know where do you pick up your beer usually? What, what else TBO do you like the best or beer store? So I'll answer that question right now. Um, I usually go uh, to the one in Orleans here, either the Innis Road or the Trim Road location. But today I picked it up at the Metcalf location. <laughs> Metcalf and Isabella, not the Metcalf, Ontario. True or false, it was not on your way back from Carleton Place, Ontario. It was not on my way back from Carleton Place, and that's because I was not coming from Carleton Place, but Carleton University instead. Beautiful, Canada's beautiful. capital university. Yes, uh, we don't have to go there. Um, it's not good for ratings. Where the K stands uh, for quality. There you go. Um, where where do you rank this here, Seti? Want to hear it as well? Uh, I think last week we gave it a seven and a half or around that mark. I'll go like a, probably a full point higher. Uh, maybe a little room for improvement. Maybe it could be a touch more sour, but uh, I'll go like eight. 8.5 on this one. Yeah, that's that's a decent score. I'm going 8.1. Um, it's a good sour. It's a solid sour. Uh, but yeah, like you said, we're from improvement. And Coach, uh, what are you sipping on this week? You've been quiet over there. Uh, you know, you guys know I'm not a big beer guy, so I'm always sipping on water. Uh, I, uh, you know, that's what it is. I put some meal in there to, you know, give it some flavor. Lemon lime meal. It tastes like yellow Gatorade. It was actually pretty good, and uh, and and as always, I've always got a, a a can of Coke to get me through this episode. And I'm glad I didn't try this beer because I hate raspberries and I hate everything about them. And I think raspberries should not Fuck exist. You. I think raspberries should not exist. And I'm definitely part of the minority, as you guys can hear. I'm getting bitched at by yeah. Brewmaster Kyle and 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 rightfully so. And George, there you go, George as well. Uh, yeah, I don't think raspberries should exist. They're disgusting, overrated. Zero out of ten. Since, uh, uh, producer Sex doesn't can we... drink the beer. Sorry, go ahead, George. I was just going to ask Producer Seggs if we can edit that part out and uh, not subject our listeners to horseshit like that. I mean, if you're going that frame, I'll just take them all out. We'll just say he's on Love is Blind again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, since Coach doesn't drink beer, it doesn't... Uh, partake in this we should f- try to find him some or try to make him some beer flavored meal to add to his water as long as it's not raspberry i'm in i'll specifically make it raspberry just for you mm, just for you brewmaster kyle uh thank you for a fantastic edition of, of bland's brew of the week 
one that uh, I don't think Coach will be partaking in anytime soon. However, I look forward to trying it out uh, at the end of the month. So thank you. Tremendous. And I think you have this Wednesday in sports history for us. What do you What do you got uh, in that? I do. Category. I absolutely do. Yeah. So where's this one? We're going uh, all the way back to 1997. Uh, uh, all of us here on the pod would have been two years old at the time. So uh, way back. We're going to the 61st U.S. Masters Tournament, Augusta National. Tiger Woods wins his first major title and records 12 strokes ahead of Tom Kite. Don't ask me who that is. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and uh, who? wait, four-round total? Two, I don't know what 270 means. Can someone tell, tell me what 270 means? So 270 is your total score over the four rounds. Four-round so total? Yeah, so golf tournament. Why do they do four, four rounds? rounds? Thursday, Friday, and then they cut about half the field after Friday. And then you have Saturday, Sunday, and champ- your championship round is Sunday. That's when the final is, basically. So whomever is Same leading after the four the four continuous rounds is crowned the champion. But it's split into rounds, and so 270 would be the score, the total score across all four if you were, added, you were to add them up. Damn. And that's a minus 18, too, because if your par is uh, 72 you do that times four you're at 288 so he actually shot from minus 18 which is super impressive to put that in consideration put that into uh perspective Perspective, scotty scheffler on the weekend won the masters of course that we're going to get to in a minute and and he won it with a score of 10 under so 18 under at a place like augusta is in a major tournament is quite impressive and that's why tiger is the goat no question no question about it minus 18 at the masters no matter who you are and whoever you're playing you're going to put a score of 18 under in a tournament like the masters nobody's touching you there that's an automatic win but i think that kind of is a good segue to our golf talk this week uh did you guys check out the masters on the weekend Unfortunately, I can't say I caught much much of it. Uh, kept track of the leaderboard, but didn't really catch any of the uh, live streaming. I definitely, uh, I definitely caught my fair share of, uh, of the tournament uh, over the four days. Um, watched watch as much as I could, and 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 you know, speaking of Tiger Woods, it was so unfortunate. You know, he had a good first round. I thought there was maybe some hope and. He progressively got worse and worse as the tournament went on. Um, and, and I kind of want to do a quick roundtable here is, is, you know, he was healthy enough to play, but does this prove to you that, yeah, okay, you got to be in shape and you got to be healthy to play golf, but how much of it is actually mental? Like, how much of it is actually, okay, you have a good first round, you're feeling nice, and then you get worse and worse, you start getting to your own head, like, I know when I play golf, when all of us play golf, you know, you you make a bad shot and you get into your own head and then you never recover. Uh, do you guys think that happened to Tiger? Like, do you guys think that he had a bad round and then after that it was a downhill spiral? Because, you, you know, you, you, yeah, okay. You have, you know, a few bad shots, but the real pros and the, and the, the real golf superstars find ways to bounce back. And he just didn't. He got progressively worse. I don't think it's a mental thing. I think for him it was purely physical. I think you kind of look at what what he's been through over the last year and a half. This is his first like major. I know he played that pro am and and the, the with his son, 
uh, a few months back, but but this is different, right? This is four grueling rounds at the Masters where he's walking. And one thing to keep in mind at Augusta, it's a very hilly course. So a guy like him who basically, if you're not aware, he almost got his leg amputated a year and a half ago after a serious car accident. And so he's still got, he's not at 100% with his leg and he never will be. And that's why he's never going to come back to 100% playing on tour. Uh, I suspect he's only going to be playing these type of majors, you know, the, the Open. He said he's going to he's going to be at the Open at St Andrews, it's the 150th Open this year. That's going to be huge in July. Of course, the Masters. I think we may be able to see him at the U.S. Open later on this summer, but he's only going to be playing, I think, the majors, um, because he to walk four rounds, not including the work that has to be done earlier that that, that week, the practice rounds. Uh, obviously, you have to stay in shape. The guy's in great shape, but that leg is is rough. And so I think what ended up happening this is the first real competitive uh, tournament he's been in in a long time. And, and uh, towards the end, I think you can visibly see he's limping. Uh, he can't crouch down or read his putts like he used to anymore. There's really that that leg is, has been mangled. Mentally, though, absolutely, that, that plays a part. I don't think that was his demise for Tiger, but you look at a guy like Cam Smith on the weekend after that, that, that tragic 12th hole, that is a clear sign of, of of somebody that kind of checked out mentally after that. Uh, he had a disaster of a hole, put his tee shot into the water. He ended up, I think he, he ended up with a double, or I think it was triple. Yeah, there's a triple bogey. And you can see that about two, three holes after that, he was just, he was not in it. He was missing shots. He was slamming his clubs. He was visibly frustrated. And that gets you, like you said, a guy that was in contention, I think at the time that he made that that mistake, he was three shots back. Scotty was at 10. I think he was sitting at seven under. And so that put him back to four under that triple bogey there. And, and that was really his tournament in a nutshell. Uh, so it does happen. I don't necessarily think that's what happened to Tiger, though. Yeah, I mean, I think my I echo kind of what George said. I think golf in general is extremely mental, especially when you get to the pro level where a lot of these guys are kind of on the same level uh, in terms of their abilities, I think that's what separates, you know, the good from the great is that mental factor and being able to stay sharp, you know, over the course of four holes. But like, like George said, I think in, in the case of tiger, um, you know, you, you see a guy that's, you know, playing myself, you know, playing one round, walking 18 holes, I, by the end of it, I'm tired. Imagine doing that on one leg for four rounds. You know, obviously, that's going to pl- play a huge factor. And after every round, your your physical state, it's going to decline and decline. And that's going to affect your game. So I do agree that in this case, it might not necessarily have been, uh, you know, the, the mental factor or being able to to recover mentally from, from a bad round. Uh, but in general, and like that example that George said, you know, I think I find usually within one round, that's when you'll get get in your own head and kind of you'll see yourself one bad shot will lead to another to another. But I think from round to round, so you got that evening to recover, you've got that sleep it off. I think between rounds, I think the mental factor plays less, you know, has less of an impact. I think within a single round, yes, but over the course of a tournament, you know, you have enough time, especially as a pro, you know, okay, you have one bad round, you recoup, you, you have time to look back at your, 
what you did wrong. And then at that, at that point, I think, uh, at least as a pro, you, sh- you should be able to recover mentally uh, between the different rounds. I think you can look at, at Tiger this weekend. He was in a different... Like, the guy is, is nails when it comes to just the mental part of the game. And he's been through so much. But you look at him even after the rounds, and he's smiling, he's laughing. He's, he was so relaxed. And I think the biggest takeaway for me from this weekend was how much, I think, how grateful he was to just be able to compete. I think as as happy as we all were to see him compete at the Masters, obviously he was just as, if not more, elated to be there and be able to compete. He made the cut, which is huge. Uh, so we got to see him in Tiger Red on Sunday. Like, I think quite the opposite. I, I think this was a great. Um, I think it was a, a great proof for himself that he can do it. I think he was laboring towards the end, and his game dropped off because of it. But I think mentally, I think it proved to him that he can sustain the wear and tear of four rounds. And uh, I think that's why he actually committed to playing the Open right then and there after his fourth round at Augusta. I think because it proved to himself that he was able to to do it. But, I mean, you look at, and and I mean, so we we golf. And uh, we can sometimes feel nervous on the first tee and whatnot. And um, the first tee is always the hardest one. Uh, But I, I was particularly paying attention on Thursday to Tiger teeing off on hole one at the Masters and the sheer size of that crowd around him was incredible. And and obviously everywhere Tiger goes, he attracts a crowd, especially at the Masters. But I kept thinking to myself, there's no fucking way I'd hit that ball clean. Like, you know how they line up all the way down the left and the right side of the tee box? I'd take somebody out. Like, if I'm on that first tee and there's that big of a crowd and it goes dead silent and everybody's watching you, my my drive is going straight right and taking one of the old farts in the front row right out. There's no fucking way I'm finding the fairway. Guaranteed. I don't know about you guys, but that's that just shows you what all these guys go through, but especially being Tiger, like, that's a different level. See, for me, I think, I kind of think the opposite. I think for, if I'm Tiger, that's probably one of the easiest shots you'll ever take. You know, there's no, no real expectations from you. Uh, You've seen it all, you know, to me, probably one of the, if any, any time you're going to choke up, it's, you know, on the 18th on Sunday, right? On your last drive, that's where you kind of get the nerves and you kind of choke up on your club. But first hole, you know, there's no real expectations. You're just happy to be there. I think at that point, he's just you know, taking it all in. And, you know, even if he, he does mess up his first shot, no one's really going to care. So to me, I, I don't think there's many nerves there. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, he's been through so much that I don't really think he, he feels any nerves uh, at any point in any round anymore. Yeah, I agree with Teddy. I think he's more nervous on the side of the interstate after having 12 rum and cokes. I think, I think that's where he's really nervous. So yeah, uh, you, can't, you, you know can't he's say been, that. You can't say he's that. Been, I'll I'll say what I want. He's been doing it for years now. Nothing's gonna stop him. He can you know he he plays golf like nobody's business. He's he's arguably the best to ever do it. So maybe there's nerves because you haven't played in almost two years and you haven't seen a crowd that big, kind of around you when you're you know like when you're swinging the golf club. I can understand that you could maybe be a little nervous, but when you're Tiger Woods, uh, nothing really gets to you. I mean. 
you could cheat on your wife. You're not that nervous. You don't really give a shit. So, yeah, eh, that's about it. And what about Scotty Scheffler? I was just going to say, before I move on, I'm just, I'm curious to see, you know, you said he committed to, was it the, the next the big uh, major? The Open. The Open. Uh, Formerly which is better known as the British Open, but now it's just which called is in the Open. a couple Open. weeks? It's in July. In July, okay. I was going to say, I, I wonder how long it's going to take for him to be able to fully recover from, you know, playing these four rounds, because... Clearly, he towards the end he you know he was barely hanging on. So, I'm sure it's going to be a long recovery process, and not just going to be a couple of weeks. It might be a few months before he he's feeling back uh, back to quote unquote normal, whatever that is for him now. But uh, yeah, that'll be I think something to keep track of is his recovery after this this big tournament. Yeah, like I I can imagine the type of physical therapy and, and the rehab that's probably done after every round on the weekend, right? A guy like Tiger doesn't travel light. I'm sure he was getting top-notch care after each round to, to make sure he was ready for the next day. But I think the biggest thing for him is, is we talked about that crowd and, and the, the eyeballs that he attracts. And I think him playing last weekend was the best thing that could ever happen to the world number one right now, Scotty Scheffler. We spoke about him a lot. We spoke about him last week and, and the tear he's on right now. Guy is just red hot. Easily the best golfer on the planet right now. Uh, just doesn't miss. He just doesn't miss. Uh, what was it? I think he three-putted or four-putted the, the 18th on Sunday and still won by three shots. Like, that just tells you how dominant he was on the weekend. But coming into this, I think he's he's been very, very uh, highly touted, highly spoken about over the last month and a half based on this rise from winning his first PGA Tour event in February to being number one within 59 days. But I think if it wasn't for for Tiger being in the field last week, all the pressure would have been on Scotty. Everybody would have been asking him about, you know, a million questions. Everybody would have been talking about him. And the fact that Tiger was in the field, everybody was talking about Tiger. Nobody even asked a question about Scotty Scheffler. And so I think that took a lot of the pressure off of him because the limelight wasn't solely placed on him and it allowed him to go out there and play his game. So I think one thing that we can't forget because we're talking about pressure is the amount of pressure that Tiger takes off of others. And in this case, Scotty Scheffler benefited from that, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, it's always nice to to play at the same time as him because, as you said, a lot of the eyes are on Tiger and the other guys kind of fly under the radar. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good for Scotty Scheffler. He's on a tear. Obviously, he, he deserves to be number one in the world, especially after winning the Masters. I mean, you're pretty much on top of your game at this point. And, and I don't know if you've hit your peak or your prime, but the guy's still young. He's 25, 26, you know, our age. Um, another thing I want to touch on the Masters is, like, I saw names on that list. I mean, obviously they didn't make the cut, but some notable names not to make it. You're looking at Brooks Kepka. You're looking at Bryson DeChambeau, like two guys that are pretty legit overall. And it just goes to yeah, show Jordan you Spieth's that. Jordan another one. Jordan Spieth is another one. Like those are legit names. So, I mean, Augusta is a tough course. I mean, I think the projected cut at some point was plus five. That means if you shoot plus five or better, you're in. That's garbage, man. But 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 on a side note, it was nice to see 
Mike Weir play, VJ Singh. You know, all these guys that, that played when we were younger and we didn't really watch golf as much as we did. And as we grew up, we kind of, you know, learned about these guys. And obviously, you know, with Mike Weir being Canadian, having won the Masters, that was cool to see. I mean, even though they didn't, they didn't make the cut, but it's nice to see those names in, in the field. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed seeing that. Um, it's just different. I mean, everybody looks for the big names, but we kind of tend to, uh, you know, not go through the entire list and, and see who's playing. So to see those guys was actually a lot of fun. Oh, for sure. And I, that's one of the, I find, super interesting parts of the Masters, right? Because unlike other, other major tournaments, whenever winning a Masters is like an elite, you, you open the door to like some elite perks. So not only do you get an invitation to play in the Masters for basically the rest of your life, as long as you want to, but you get an invite every 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 year. And so you can take part in, of course, the, the Champions Dinner, which we've spoken about. Uh, you take part in the Par 3 tournament that happens usually, I believe it's on the, the Tuesday or the Wednesday. And all of the festivities around Masters Week. And you're there, you've got your own green jacket, you're in a, like a, a league of your own. Uh, so not only do you qualify for the following year, you qualify for the rest of your life. So whenever you want to play that tournament, you can come back, even long after you're retired. Perfect example is Mike Weir. He still comes out every year. That's his one event. And I'm sure it's a it's a cool experience for a guy like that. You bring your family, you know, you bring your kids, um, you bring your grandkids eventually. That's a super elite club to be a part of. And I think that's a really, really cool perk because not every guy on tour gets to play Augusta National. Not every guy on tour gets to play the Masters. But if you win it, you get to do that every single year, no matter what, if you're the number one golfer in the world or if you haven't picked up a golf club in nine months. That's pretty damn cool. Maybe one day one of us will be a Masters champion. I'm betting on Kyle. Kyle's pretty deadly with that hybrid. I mean, he's probably the first guy I've ever seen hit hybrid off of a uh, 120-yard par three. I will say it came in clutch that day. Yeah, It didn't get me a good score, but it came in clutch. Looking forward to some Jim uh, Class Zero's golf tournament this summer. By golf tournament, it's basically just the five of us playing around a golf. Yeah, the second annual Jim Class Zero's Invitational. We're going to try to... Yeah. S- no, you know what? Let's try and get more people. Yeah, we can do that. We get at least three foursomes. I think that'd be a good, uh, that'd be a good time. Yeah. Emerald links. I'll-, I'll talk to my contacts. Same. I hope we're not each other's contacts. I hope not. If not, we're we're going nowhere. Yeah, we're fucked. We're going home. That's where we're going. Let's uh, let's visit some baseball, right? Um, as you can tell, last week was a huge week for me between the Masters and opening day or opening weekend in the Major League Baseball. Um, there's been a lot for me to watch on TV, and so I've been doing a lot of that. And uh, a great opening week or weekend, I should say. Uh, Jays are looking solid, I think. I said it. I did say it. The, the the starting rotation has some question marks there. Season opener. Jose Barrios doesn't even get out of the first inning. He records one out. Gets tagged. Gets slapped around by Texas. They still come back and win that game, the Jays do. So that says a lot about that offense. I think the offense is, is so far really carried that team. Alec Manoa last night, uh, on, on Monday night I should say, uh, looked fantastic against the Yankees. Six innings of one-hit baseball. 
but that's not necessarily what I want to focus on. I think the biggest change this year is Pitchcom. So I'm not sure if you guys seen this, the new communication device. Uh, it's very similar to like, have you seen those headphones where they're not actually headphones? They just kind of sit on the back of your head and the vibrations within like the back of your brain just like transmits the, the sound like music. I don't understand how the science works, but that basically how this works. So the Pitchcom is a two-way communication system or a one-way communication system where the catcher will have this kind of remote control on them. He'll press a series of buttons to call a pitch. So rather than the traditional putting down a one for a fastball, two curveball, blah, 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 and doing all those signs, this Pitchcom is just a remote control that's the catcher can put anywhere, either you know on their chest, on their ass, on their thigh, they can put it on their wrist. And it transmit that message to the 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 hat, the pitcher's hat, and that, through that vibration, it kind of speaks it out to him and says like fastball inside, you know, curveball low and away. Uh, and so it's to basically eliminate sign stealing. It's completely optional. Teams don't have to use it. I think the Jays are one that are using it. Some people are opting not to use it. But it's a super interesting piece of technology that's being integrated to the game, and there's some some pros and cons to it. Uh, but it was really interesting to see it in action. I think some some teams have fooled around with it through spring training, and, and to actually pay attention and watch it in a league game right now was was pretty interesting to see kind of the technology being implemented into Major League Baseball. Yeah, I have kind of mixed feelings about it. You know, I think sign stealing to a certain extent has always been part of the game, you know, of course, the using the use of technology to steal signs, which was the case for the Astros, you know, sh- obviously it shouldn't be part of the game. But, you know, if you're able to read, you got someone on base and he's able to read the signs and relay the message, you know, I think that's always been part of the game. And I think there's no reason to kind of take that out. I think the, the introduction of technology into the, even though I, you know, come from a tech background, I think the introduction of technology into the sport kind of takes away from it to a certain extent um and i think you know as cool as it is to see i i i just like to see you know i like to see the the catcher uh signing out you know a pitch and then the guy shaking it off multiple times um i like that aspect of the game i think if anything and if you're going to bring technology into the game i think it should be in terms of you know the umpiring and calling balls and strikes because that's been the biggest blunder over the last few years in terms of huge mistakes. Uh, so in that, on that side of things, I think, you know, I, I don't know if I'm old fashioned, but I think they should have just left it the way it is, but it's an interesting kind of storyline to follow. I know in the blue Jays first, uh, first series at home against the Rangers, the, the crowd at the Rogers center was so loud that, the pitcher is actually having a hard time even hearing the signal, even though it's coming directly from his hat. So that was kind of funny to see, but yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, I kind of have mixed feelings on bringing in this technology into the sport. Yeah, I know. I, you know, a lot of, a lot of baseball purists don't like, will, will probably not like this. I mean, it's, you're involving technology. It's, it's, it's an old game. I, I'm sure a lot of people are pretty pissed off that they're introducing this new way of new way of doing things. I'm I'm sure some people would rather just the catcher use his fingers and just be able to call pitches that way. But at the same time, I mean, you got to evolve the game somehow. So I'm I'm 
I'm kind of on the fence about it. I feel like I'd have to do more research to to learn more about this this new way of doing things because as of right now, I'm not really convinced. But I feel like once I read on it some more, I'll I'll definitely have a better idea. It's actually really interesting because kind of seeing it in effect, it's one major thing that has changed is the speed and the pace of play. So we saw it most notably on Monday night with Aaron Judge up at the plate where Adam Simber and Alejandro Kirk for the Jays were running through signs very quickly because it was through the pitch comm. So it wasn't a series of signs being handed down. It was, and it doesn't even, and the biggest thing is because it's being done straight into the, the hat, the pitcher doesn't have to be on the mound, foot against the rubber, leaning in to see the sign. And so the minute that the ball is thrown back to the pitcher, Kirk is starting to, to dial in the next pitch. And while Simber is basically walking back towards the, the mound and getting his feet set, he's nodding yes or no and shaking pitches off. So it's so much quicker that the batter doesn't have as much time to get into the box and set and ready for the next pitch. And that really bothered Aaron Judge most notably, where he was calling time, stepping out. He was just, it was just too fast for him. And so that's one thing that I think we might see a bit more. It, it may be a negative for, for some hitters. I think for me, it's a positive because it's picking up the speed of that pace of play that we've been talking about for years. But two, I think it's not necessarily a bad thing to see a batter a little bit uncomfortable. There's nothing worse than watching a pitcher stand there and, and having 30, 40, 45 seconds between every pitch. And so that, that quicker speed will lead to more enjoyable games. And I think having those batters be a bit more uncomfortable in the batter's box is not the end of the world. So it'll be, it'll be uh, really interesting to see how far this goes uh, and just kind of taking stock of who's using it and who isn't. Because I'm sure there's a lot of guys that, that are going to want to kind of go back to the, the traditional way of doing it where a lot of, a lot of guys is, are going are gonna to embrace this. And from what I'm understanding, it's the pitcher's choice. Uh, and so even within a, a pitching staff, you might have one guy that's going to be using it two other guys that won't, but then your closer's using it. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see kind of who decides to use it. Uh, and, and, and do we see more of that where batters are visibly uh, annoyed or thrown off by the use of this? So, of course, I can talk baseball for, for days, uh, but we, we do want to touch on some basketball because, Seti, you are the basketball expert. And, of course, we've got some, uh, some playoff basketball right around the corner. For a third year, the NBA is doing another play-in tournament for the 7 to 10 seed teams to see who gets the final two playoff spots. So it's kind of an interesting situation because I think we saw it in hockey that year during the COVID-shortened season. Otherwise, I think uh, the closest we can compare this to is that wild card game, the play-in game in baseball. Uh, But where do you stand on this for basketball? Do you like it or do you wish to kind of get away from it? Uh, I'm personally a fan of of this format i think uh you fight you know you could look at it from two different perspectives you you fight so hard all all season uh to be able to make it to the playoffs and let's say you're you know you lose out by a game or even the way they track you know they track stats at like half a game i think you know I think it's only fair to you know to give those bottom four teams you know a chance to fight it out like you said They've got it in baseball. They even have it in football with the wild card 
the wildcard games, right? So I think I'm a fan of this. I think it obviously if you're not in the top six teams, but you are like, let's say you're a seven, obviously you might be a little frustrated with that, but that's just extra motivation to not finish in those bottom four teams. It's the extra motivation to finish on a higher seed. And also it's motivation for, you know, those bubble teams not to tank towards the end of the season, right? You still have a chance knowing that, you know, you might be eight, nine, ten spot, you know, instead of tanking for your last 10 games, try to push and make it into to the playoffs. So I'm a fan of this. It makes for, you know, more exciting basketball. And uh, yeah, just give give more teams because there's a lot, of, a lot of good teams that don't make the playoffs uh, and just lose out by a couple points. So I think it makes it makes for an interesting scenario. Like in the, in this case, you've got the Brooklyn Nets who are a seven seed, who are supposedly one of the top teams in the league. They lose one game, they lose two games, they could be out and not even make the playoffs. So I think that aspect of the game is is quite interesting. And I would I would think that. I like to see the NHL adopt this personally. I think, uh, like you said, the NHL or the COVID shortened season, we kind of saw the the three game series that they had. So I think it'd be interesting to see kind of a trial run uh, for next couple of years, see how it plays out. But I'm a fan of this. I think for one, it prevents tanking and just adds that extra level of competitive competitiveness to, to try to, uh, you know, to be one of those top six teams and not just rely on being, okay, I'm, a, I'm an eight seed, I'm in. I don't like it. I like the way it used to be, one through eight. If you're in the top eight, you make the playoffs. If you're nine, sorry, you should have won that extra game or two. And it's the same thing in the NHL. You know, they changed it now by division, and then you got wild cards. Like, I, I, I've never really liked that from the get-go. Um not saying that in a biased manner because my team has been shit for the last year uh, years, uh, um, you know, talking about hockey now. But but to touch back on the NBA, like you've got an eighty-two game season, and you have to win as many as you can. I mean, obviously that's the point, right? But I just don't like that. That's outside looking in and a team inside looking out. I like the one through eight, one plays eight in the first round, so on and so forth, without having these. Playing games, I don't know. I, I I just I see the entertainment value in it in the sense that okay, if you're cheering for a team that's just on the brink, that's maybe a game or two away from making the playoffs, and those are the two games you need to make it in. I'm not crazy about it. I'm not going to watch the playing games. I, I I don't really care for it. And the same thing in in the NHL. Like I don't like the whole wild card thing. Like yes, for some people it's it's interesting and it's a tight race, maybe based on a point or two. But in the end, I just like the way that it used to be. One through eight makes it nine through fifteen. Sorry, you're not good enough. We'll see you in the new season. The thing with the, the always... wild card games and like those sorts of things, like when you think of baseball, some of the most exciting and most you know high adrenaline games are those wild card games, right? There's so much on the line riding on a single game on the single outcome. To me, that's like one of the most exciting games to watch. Is you know it's kind of like a game seven where do or die. Everything you see, both teams putting it all on the line, and I think, you know, obviously, like you said, it's for entertainment value. But to me, I I think there's nothing greater than, you know, both teams have everything to lose and everything to win by by a single game. I think that just makes it so much more exciting. It almost makes me think of looking at how European soccer does it, 
So specifically, like, let's say, for example, the Premier League. There's no playoffs at all. And so the idea that you play a whole season of games to, to, to qualify then for the playoffs where anything can happen, and once you're in, who gives a sh- what, what? Nothing matters what happened in this season. Just make the playoffs. And then to add this element of like another chance for teams that maybe didn't play well enough over the course of the whole season kind of makes me feel weird about it. And I think it's the same conversation that happened in baseball uh, over the CBA um, negotiations for different reasons. I think the players didn't want the extended playoffs because of injuries, less time, you know, you're not getting paid as much for those playoff games. But it's become a point where I think these leagues realize that revenue and the revenue they can make on these quote-unquote playoff games is like double and triple. Tickets are more expensive. You tell, you know, you tell a market like a, a, you tell CBS or you tell TNT, whomever, ESPN, that you're now adding three more, four more quote unquote playoff games. Well, now your, your contract's worth more. And so it's almost become that where these leagues are just trying to benefit off of making more money by calling this a playoff game or play in tournament. And it really doesn't add anything. It's, it's fun because it's like there's a lot on the line here. But then what the hell do we just play a whole season for? I played a whole season. I ranked better than you. But now I still have to then have a head-on competition for with you to then go on to the next round to then play in, in, a, in a playoff. Where you look at European soccer and it's basically you play the season. Whoever's the best team at the end of the season wins. And that is how you get crowned the champion. Because over the course of... 38 games, you were the better team. You played everybody. You had more points than everyone. And in North America, we don't look at it at all the same way. It's we're going to play a bunch of games. In hockey, you're looking at 82 games. In baseball, you're looking at 162 games to then all end up in the same boat at the end. And, oh, you get home ice advantage in the playoffs because you were the higher-ranked team. It almost makes you sometimes think, is it is it really worth it? It's exciting, and I'm not going to say that I don't like the playoffs. Of course, we love the playoffs. There's a reason why these games are marketed and they make more money off of these playoff games. But I just think that whole play-in concept is is a bit of a of a of a marketing ploy, if I should say. So, I, you make you bring up an interesting interesting point with you know the European soccer, but they also do have their kind of playoff or style format with you know the champions league champions league the europe europa league uh where you do have that tournament style format uh to win a some form of championship so i think it's for the lack of you know having the different competitions from different leagues within you know the continent i think you just do the playoff format but you do have a similar format in europe you're just lucky enough to have different leagues with so much talent where you could play teams from other leagues and that's basically their form of playoffs right it's it's a tournament to win so in the end in the nhl and the nba you still have the you know the regular season champion they get the banner um they get rewarded for that but you also have this other tournament style competition where you know head-to-head matchups until there's one man standing so i think like even though like i said it's not the traditional North American playoff, you still have that sort of 
competition uh, within teams to win a championship outside of the league. Well, of course, you you need that, and and the, I don't think that's necessarily what I'm saying. I think the Champions League is against evidently teams from different leagues, and so it's a, it's its own tournament. But my point is, when you play a, ba- a whole basketball season against the same teams, and then at the end you have to do a play-in game to then get to the playoffs to play the same teams, it's kind of like, to me, especially in those play-in games, there's injuries that come into play. There's a certain aspect of luck. Looking at baseball, the wild card game is a one one game. Who's the home team? They've got a bigger advantage right off the bat. Who's pitching that night? Oh, their ace is injured. Right away, there's another advantage. And so is it truly a good testament of this is the better team? Not always. Because I just played 162 games, and I was the better team over 162 games, but you beat me tonight because my right fielder tripped trying to catch that fly fly ball, and you just won the game. And now you're suddenly in a better position than me. But I was a better team over 162 games against the same competition. And that should, that should mean a lot more than that one play-in game. So it comes back to, I just think they're just doing this because they want to call something a playoff and make it more important so that they can sell more tickets at a higher price and ad revenue skyrockets. Because now you're putting your ad not on a regular season game, it's on a play-in game. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's weird. And I feel just not needed. At the end of the season, if I, if I had more points than you and I'm in the seventh seed, I should be able to make the playoffs before you and I don't have to play you in a one-game play-in. Yeah, no, George, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. But please, guys, do me a favor. Let's not talk about Champions League. Uh, I'm not in a pleasant mood today. And, uh, yeah. Just leave it at that. Stop saying Champions League. Stop talking about Champions League. All right. We're not going to talk about Champions League. Uh, oh, man. I really want to, though. <laughs> uh, it was announced today that Jurassic Park is reopening on Saturday for the Raptors 76ers Game 1. Um, game 1 of that series. Uh, so if you guys aren't familiar, Jurassic Park is basically a tailgate area outside of Scotiabank Arena in Toronto where they stack a bunch of people and they all watch on a big screen. And so I think it's super fun. We see it on TV all the time. It's super exciting. My question is, is this something that actually interests you guys? Like if you guys were in Toronto and you had the option of going to real sports and watching it on the big, like a, hundreds of big screens in a bar with cold beer in a warm space where you're not crammed in next to everybody or on your living in your living room where you got cheaper beer, the washroom's right there. You don't have to wait in line. You're not in the middle of a crowd. Or you go stand amongst hundreds of people in Jurassic Park. I get that it's cool to have that opportunity, but what would you guys choose? Because to me, I feel like I'd rather be in a bar or in my living room than than in the middle of a huge crowd standing up watching the game on a big screen outside. I feel like this is something Uh, Seti would be down for. So, uh, I mean, I I might be... I have a controversial opinion again this time. Uh, for, For myself, if it weren't for covid i would say yes i'd I'd love to be there maybe not for every playoff game but to be there for for one game you know at some point during the playoffs obviously the deeper you go the more 
exciting it, it would be to be there, but just to be able to experience experience it and to be there with, you know, a bunch of other diehard fans that are there, you know, cheer, you're all cheering on the same thing. Uh, I think it'd be a, a really fun experience. Would I do it every game? Definitely not, especially not during COVID. Uh, I'm a little surprised that they are doing that because, you know, from years past, it's definitely packed in like a can of sardines. But in general, I would, yeah, it's definitely something I'd be into uh, to try out for the experience, have a good time, watch the game with a bunch of other diehard fans that are there to also have a good time. Yeah, I'd be absolutely uh, down to to try it out. If I can't be in the arena watching the game as it's happening in front of my eyes, I'm, I'm in there, I want to watch it at home in my living room. As you said, George, cheaper beer. I mean, I don't drink, so cheaper Coke, Coca-Cola. No lines to use the bathroom. I don't have to wait half an hour to take a piss. Uh, and I'm also in the comfort of my own home. I mean, as you said, we're in the midst of another wave of COVID. And and the, I think the last thing I want to do is, is be uh, jumbled up with thousands of people. You don't know where they've been. You don't know who they've seen, who they've touched, what they've touched, if they've licked any doorknobs if or, or whatever. But ideally... I'm sitting in my living room with my buddies. We're watching the game. You know, you 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 jump over to the beer store. You pick up a two four, whatever. Costs you fifty bucks, whatever. But fifty bucks, you you know that that'll buy you three beers at the rink. What you know, it's it's ridiculous. But you're in the comfort of your own home. You're just chilling, and you're not surrounded by strangers. I think that's the biggest thing. Is like, even pre COVID, I'm not really big on crowds, so I wasn't too you know, like. I wouldn't be too keen on attending that. It, it, it makes me a little bit anxious. I mean, uh, I don't know. But but I, I can see where you're coming from in the sense that it's it's something that you want to experience once. Um, but for me, I'd rather just be in the comfort of my own home, do what I want, drink what I want, eat what I want. Nobody can tell me what I can and can't do. You can't stand here. You can't sit here. Fuck off. I'm just going to sit on my couch in my living room and watch the game peacefully. With with people I actually want to be with, like if I'm ha- if I'm having if I'm hosting people, is because I want to have these people over to watch this particular game with me. So for that reason, Jurassic Park, cool concept, and and if you want to go, I'm all for it. But I'm out. I'm surprised. Uh, I know you coach as somebody that's usually does their best work in large crowds. So, um, no, no. Coming to a Mandarin uh, near you, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Oh, baby. I'm hungry. I can go for some Mandarin right now. I can go for some Mandarin right now. And, and, and to your point, you know, ideally in my own home, second best is Brewmaster Kyle's house uh, where he's got beer all the time. Maybe we get into the whiskey. You never know. Bob's your uncle. And Sue's your aunt. And let me tell you guys something about Brewmaster Kyle's house. His basement has got the money green couches. One of the most comfortable couches I've ever sat on. You can ask him. How many times I go to Brewmaster Kyle's house, we watch a hockey game or whatever, and I fall asleep. I mean, you guys know me, I fall asleep anywhere. And for those of you who don't know me, you throw a little bit of air conditioning on, I'm out like a light. Out like a light. If it's, and any, if it's and too any hot of us can or too cold, this. If, it's, if it's cold 
in any manner or hot in any manner, he's out. He's sleeping. Yeah. It has to, for him to be awake, it has to be just the right temperature. I, I got to be at like 19 degrees in the house. You know, it's got to be at that cool temperature. Like this time of year is perfect. You crack the windows open. You let that breeze come in. I mean, I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. And, and if you guys want to see Coach with no shirt, gymclasszeros.com slash, no, sorry, onlyfans.com slash gymclasszeros. Mm-hmm. Coach shirtless pictures up there. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a good site, apparently. People are, are content when I don't wear shirts. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue the tradition this year. The less shirts, the better. For Coach. You guys, should see my, you guys should see my wardrobe. Or lack thereof it. Or lack thereof, yeah, that's right. All right, Brewmaster Kyle's back. Um, I think we got to transition to Game of the Week. We had some really great conversations today. Um, we learned that uh, before actually we get to Game of the Week. Kyle, can you please deduct uh, some of uh, Seti's pay for the week? Because he did not watch the Masters. And so I think he saw he, he clocked in for the Masters but did not watch. Uh, and so that's a party foul. Yeah, I'll put it through in payroll this week. Thank you. What's your game of the week, uh, Brewmaster Kyle? Who's uh, who's taught and playing? I was gonna say, as to our viewers' surprise, I am choosing Tottenham as my game of the week this week. Some of them guys, I know this comes as a shock. Um, they're playing Brighton and Hove Albion. I know it's not a crazy game, but this is the end of the season. They've got seven games left. Uh, five of which I do believe they can win. <laughs> Two of them I don't know. They're playing Liverpool and Arsenal back to back, so I don't know if they're uh, they're going to be fit to play them. But the other ones I do believe they can win, and I think they can secure a uh, Champions League spot. So come on, you Spurs! It looks good right now. You're sitting in a Champions League spot. Obviously, Arsenal's got a game in hand, but they are three points behind. So that game against Arsenal is huge. And as a City fan. Uh, really hope that you can uh, you can at least get a draw against Liverpool. That'd be nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm hoping so. Yeah, Harry Kane. Speaking of Harry Kane uh, and Premier League football, uh, coach, uh, what's your game of the week this week? Is it the uh, Chelsea Champions League? Or, no, never mind. Sorry, forgot. So my game of the week is actually a little bit off the board. Uh, I'm actually taking. A quick trip down the 401, down to Kingston, Ontario. I'm going with our friend Couch Scout Hockey. We're going to watch the Kingston Frontenacs play the Ottawa 67s. And, uh, and yeah, we're just going to go spend the weekend down there. It's, it's a nice time of year right by the water. And, and we'll go see a Frontenacs game. So I've had that circled on the calendar now for a couple of weeks. And, and now that it's string, um, I'm looking forward to it. So some OHL hockey this weekend for Coach and Couch Scout. Coach, have you, have you ever been to Kingston? It's a beautiful place. Have you been? I've been, and I have some stories that I cannot tell on this podcast about my trip in Kingston. It involves a Starbucks, but that'll be for another time. A Starbucks that he's not allowed to do for breakfast. It's uh, the Starbucks. It's the Starbucks story. You can actually catch it on the OnlyFans. Yeah, Jim Class Zero's OnlyFans. Seti, um, real raunchy. Are you Are you going with Raptors Seventy uh, Sixers? What's your What's your game of the week? Uh, you know, I, I would. Yeah, probably normally you'd think I would pick that. But you know what? I think my, my games of the week are going to be all four playing games. Just for just for <laughs> you guys. I hope they're nail biters for you. No, in all seriousness, though, yeah. Raptors, 76ers, game one. Should be a great series. Uh, 
Raptors got the better of them just this past week. Um, but, you know, anytime you're going up against Joel Embiid and, and the the beard, James Harden, uh, it'll be a tough matchup. So I think I think 76ers are the favorites there, uh, but but do you see it going the other way? What's your prediction? Uh, I think the Raptors have a, a really good chance at winning it. Um, it's funny. They, according to Fred Van Vliet over All-Star Weekend, he spoke to all the players, and it was almost a unanimous vote that the Raptors were one of the hardest and most annoying teams to play against just because of their playing style and their length. So I think that'll definitely play a factor, and uh, I definitely like their odds of, of making it through. I like it. Uh, I can probably say that I watched uh, a Raptors game the other night, and uh, was I discovered Scotty Barnes. Uh, I think he's he's super cool, and uh, I'm a big Scotty Barnes fan now. Rookie of the year. That's it, baby. Uh, I'm going with City Liverpool FA Cup semifinal on Saturday. Uh, that's going to be a huge one at Wembley Stadium. Winner goes on to the final, of course. Um, we saw a little glimpse of it last week in that Premier League matchup between these two teams. I thought it was a really good game, a very good match. As a fanatic, as a City fan, uh, it did take a few years off of my life. Um, but hopefully this Saturday will be a bit l- or less stressful because City can win handedly. But let's see. Either way, I think we're in for a good match, and so I'm looking forward to it. And that's a wrap on this episode. I think we're getting close to the summer here. Uh, and so, again, we're going to be taking the summer off because um, we try to work less hard. We try to do the bare minimum. And so the Gym Class Zeroes podcast will be taking a good chunk of the summer off. Not just yet, but soon. Uh, we'll probably let you know after we've started our summer holidays. Uh, and so we'll see. One day we'll just not have an episode and tell you we're off for the rest of the summer. Because that's the kind of service we provide our loyal fans. Once again, guys, make sure you check us out on Twitter at Gym Class Zeroes Pod with a zero. On Instagram at Gym Class Zeroes Pod. Again, I'm really excited for you guys to check out this week's picture of the Brew of the Week. Brewmaster Carl did a fantastic job with this one. Very summary. Very summary. So that's a wrap, guys. I'm having coach, producer Segs, Seti, and Brewmaster Kyle. My name is George. Thank you so much for listening to the Gym Class Heroes podcast. Hope you tune in next week because we are guaranteeing an episode at least for next week. After that, it's a game of Russian roulette. Have a good one. It's time for ice cream taking one of the old farts in the front row right out. I think raspberry should not exist. I'm betting on Kyle. I'm out like a light. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs>